0: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie along with Normandy Ellis. Her book is called The Ancient Traditions of Angels, The Power and Influence of Sacred Messengers. Do you think our ancient ancestors, Normandy, believed in angels more or less than we do today?
1: Oh, I think we probably have believed in angels uh, fairly consistently. I think there are still those who... Don't believe in them. There were those who did not believe in them, um, even then.
0: Almost since the beginning of time, huh?
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: Since you've been doing this, which has been a number of years yourself, what has been for you the most gratifying aspect of what you're studying?
1: Um, You know, one of my favorite things to do is to uh, create ceremonies for the seasons, for the full moons, for the solstices and equinoxes and Day of the Dead and uh, May, you know, the May Queen, etc. And I, I love to do metaphysical ceremonies and raise the energy and vibrations. And I always set the tone at the very beginning by calling in the angels of the directions. Um, I mean, that's the Tibetans do that when they are doing their prayers and ceremonies, they call in their guardian uh, devas and beings. So, I mean, I love the angels of the directions because we Raphael, um, of Raphael in the East for the blessing of the beginnings of the work we're doing. There's, uh, Michael in the south, who is the guardian of strength. There's Gabriel, Gabriel, who helps us bring something to completion, and then Uriel brings in the ancestors, and the foundation and the earth spirit energy into what we're doing. So I like using those four um, pretty consistently. I'm with them every month, and uh, I feel that their presence has a greater energy uh, to the ceremonies that I'm doing.
0: Archangels, tell me about them. What what are they in relationship to angels?
1: Well, there are seven archangels, and I just named four of them. Um, And they are angels who kind of... Are around doing work, you know, keeping women from getting lost in the streets of Cairo, when when they shouldn't be there. Um, But then there's a level above that, which are the archangels, uh, and they kind of take care of uh, business in the lower planes. But there are angels that are above that. I mean, as the ladders go up, you know, there are angels who are. Working to record um, commandments and laws and keep the universe running in the order it needs to run. And they're doing all kinds of things that we can't even know about because we're here on this physical plane, you know. But there are nine um, planes of angels. How many angels are there? Who knows? You know, how many atoms of light are there in the universe, you know, Um, we can't possibly know the answer to that. But I like to think about the seraphim and the cherubim and, and, you know, all of those that are referred to that are not just angels or archangels, you know, the hierarchy goes all the way up to uh, Urael, who is the highest angel and the lowest angel is Sandifal. Um And Sandoval, his job is to gather our prayers and to put them in a basket and carry them up the ladder to heaven. And Uriel's job is to stand behind on the other side of the curtain where uh, God is and get the messages that he needs to send back down the ladder. So it's the highest angel and the, the lower angel, heaven above and earth below. And the conjunction is Sandifal and Uriel. Now, the interesting thing about that is that there are stories that those are the only two angels who ever incarnated on earth so that we have a very, humans have a very, Special connection with them, and um, I'm trying to remember who's who. One of them was. Um, do you remember this story, George? You might remember You're probably your Catholic background. One of them was. Um, oh gosh, it's in my book, and now I'm forgetting his name.
0: <laughs> you mean of one of the angels?
1: Yeah, yeah, the highest angel, the one, the angel who. Um, was human, and he did never die. He was just, he was one of the prophets who moved up to take his place as an angel, and I cannot remember his name.
0: Who named the angels?
1: Who named them? Yes. Well, they all they all have names that are are related to their jobs in heaven.
0: Michael the archangel was number one, though, wasn't he?
1: Well, he was he was um, one of the ones who said, uh, let's go down and take care of these troublemaker angels who've fallen. And so he he was charged with that responsibility. But he was not the highest angel.
0: Let's go to some of the phones, Vicki in Indiana, to get us started. Welcome to the show. Hi, Vicki.
1: Oh,
2: hi. I'm so happy to get to talk to you.
0: Well, glad you got through.
2: I am too. Um, I just kind of thought, with your Catholic background, maybe you would have some insight. And of course, uh, the nice lady you have on your program this evening, I kind of wanted to ask her also. There is a spiritualist camp close to where I live, and thought maybe she may had, you know, visited there before.
0: What's it called, Vicky? You know, camp
1: Chesterfield.
0: Camp Chesterfield. I lived there. You, you lived
1: there. I, I lived there for 10 years.
0: At did the you know at, at the Kruger? camp?
1: Uh-huh.
2: Did did you know Emma Kruger?
1: Um I did know Emma Kruger. You know, she was she was quite a woman. She was the first person that I ever met on the grounds there and I went to her house. Uh-huh. Uh, because I hoped that she would uh tell me something about my aunt who had studied there and became a medium. So I went to Emma Kruger's house. Oh, she my was gosh. lovely. Yeah, daughter, she was
2: lovely. Her daughter was my closest friend. And, really? Yeah.
0: Small yeah, world.
2: She was such a blessing to me. Uh, so yeah. when you said a couple of things, I went, gosh, that sounds like Camp Chesterfield, kinda. <laughs> yeah,
1: well it was, it's Camp Chesterfield, yeah. And I used to go to her house and visit my friend Uh, Mary Beth Hadaway who bought her house
2: Oh, okay Well,
1: I don't know anybody
2: else there other than her And I think she lived till she was 99 or 100
1: That's right, she did
2: Yeah, yeah Um, The question, I don't want to, you know, take a lot of time But I had something happen the other evening I discussed it with my mother today, actually Uh, But I'd like to try to make some sense out of it Um, I get up quite a bit during the night because my dogs require me to take them out to the bathroom.
0: That happens.
2: (laughs) And, um, of course, I make that trip down the hallway all the time, you know, from the bedroom to the backyard to the bedroom. And the other night we had some plumbing problems, and I went into the basement, and I thought, oh, I better shut the water off totally because it sounded like water was passing over electricity or something so on my way back the dog needed to go out again so i let the dog out and on my way back to the bedroom halfway down the hallway um half of the hallway was like kind of bathed in red light and i looked and i looked around and you know i was kind of confused but i thought okay well i don't know that's kind of different and I always shut the bedroom door so the cat can't get in there and wake my husband up. So I opened the bedroom door, and the whole bedroom was bathed in red light. And normally you can't see anything in the bedroom because, you know, you got to watch that you don't stub your toe. And I could see everything clearly. I'm not saying it was like x-ray vision because I couldn't see through anything, but the light, it was soft, But it was bright. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I didn't feel scared. I I just felt like, what's going on here?
0: (laughs) Hmm. Ever hear of anything like that, uh, Normandy?
1: Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. is um, When you go to a medium's home and you want to have a seance or you want to... uh, receive messages from spirit through a trance medium. They use something called a red light so that uh, mm. it, the bright light doesn't focus your eye on spirit. So this is how spirit, you know, that's how people at camp communicate with spirit when they're in trance so that people can see their faces and see the transfiguration of their faces as they are in trance and, a, and, a, another, uh, spirit comes into them. They use the vehicle of the body. And so it sounds to me like, um, you were somehow, <laughs> I know you were talking about Emma Kruger and, and, um, I don't know if, if there was a connection there that's, that's interesting.
0: Small world. Um, Let's go to our next caller. Let's go to Ruth in Maryland. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ruth.
1: Hi, George and um, Normandy. Thank you for taking my call. And um, I wanted to talk about the feathers, which you mentioned about finding the feather. That's happened to me a lot, and especially when I pray and ask for a sign. And um, the last two times, it was an eagle feather. Um, one was dropped right behind me. And um, I wanted to know when this happens because I, a lot of times I feel like God sends signs through the angels, through the nature, through the specifically through the birds and the bugs. Some of the bugs and does does He use is the angels? Do they actually take the form of the bird when it's dropping a feather? Or are they just working through it? How does that work?
0: That's a good question. Uh, well, th- Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I think it's working through them. I mean, I don't think that there has to be an actual bird for a feather to manifest in front of you. Although it could be that a bird flies over and it drops its feather and the angel picks it up and puts it right down where you need to have it so that you could say, yes, this is your sign. It is not coincidental. It is not an accident, and it's not your imagination. You know, it is all spirit operating and moving so that you can get the message that you need. And yes, what I like to think about uh, does God use things in nature to bring messages to us, whether they're insects, butterflies, birds, um, dogs, cats? Yes, the ancient Egyptians would say that uh, God is anything, a cloud, uh, the sun, uh, all the beings of the natural world are Goded things. And they had a word for God, which was N-E-T-E-R, netter. And the Greeks turn around and call that word nature, netter, nature, nature.
0: International and, line, we've got Carl now in Canada. Hey, Carl, go ahead.
3: God bless
1: you, George,
3: uh, Normandy. Yeah, I wanted to say, like a John in Revelation, there was uh, an angel revealing the end times to him, and he got on his face before him. angel said we're not supposed to worship him and worship God. And I, you mentioned praying to angels. Uh, we got to be careful there, praying to We're supposed to pray to God, Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, interceding.
1: That's exactly right. We have angels as intercessors. We don't pray to angels. We can call them in, but we don't pray to them to do this or do that because they do not have the willpower to do anything other than what God asks them to. So that's why the angels say, don't pray to me. You know, I'll take your message to God, but don't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with me.
0: The angels, when they come and do what they do, do they get rewarded for good deeds?
1: Not, well why would they need a reward?
0: I don't know, but do they I mean that's <laughs> like in it's a wonderful life. Clarence got his wings remember
1: Clarence got his wings yeah I do remember that story. It's a nice thought
0: Let's go to Joe in Long Island welcome to the show. Hey Joe go ahead. All
3: right, George, you know, I think I could have played uh, Ernie in uh, It's a Wonderful Life or Nick the bartender if I was, like, feeling a little bit mean.
0: Ernie was the taxi driver, wasn't he? Right,
3: right. Mm. I think I could have played that part. Uh, But uh, my question for Norman... Or
0: you could have played Mr. Goward, too.
3: No, I don't think so. I don't think it would have been a (laughs) fit. Yeah, I, I I don't think Mr. Gower would have been a good... I guess I could, right? I, I could adjust, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah, Norma D., I have a couple of questions. Um, one would be, uh, not that you're praying to the angel that escorted you back to the hotel, but could you recontact that angel and say hello? And then my second thing is, I don't know if you were thinking of the name Melchizedek, was a mystery person in in the Old uh, Testament, but also the story that the angel Raphael for traveling and told it. And uh, there's a Saint Gertrude in the Catholic Church that helps travelers too.
1: Right, right. But of course, Saint Gertrude is not an angel; she's a saint. But she has—I uh, guess she got her PhD before she died. <laughs> she's able to do things you know that she could not do uh without having become a saint so there's a certain uh it's like being a bodhisattva you know uh buddha would say don't pray to me but live by my example you know uh mother Teresa is a saint live by my example uh now melchizedek is is interesting because um he's mentioned quite often uh, in metaphysical circles. Uh, The Order of Melchizedek um, is a metaphysical order that was founded based upon the ideas behind his name.
0: It's truly remarkable of all that. There's a Netflix television show that's been on called Lucifer where he's, he's, he's fed up with hell and wants out, right? That's right. Yeah, and
1: it was really it was really fun to see all of the angels. You know, that Aminadel and and um, the ones that came up to come after him and try to bring him back. Uh, all of those were actual angels that I had found in uh, the work of Eliezer Ben Judah.
0: All right, stay with us, Normandy. We're going to take a short break and come back and wrap things up with you on Coast to Coast. Normandy Ellis, her book is called The Ancient Tradition of Angels. Her website is her name, linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. And welcome back to our final segment with Normandy Ellis. Normandy, you're also a clairvoyant medium. How long have you been doing that?
1: Oh, I would say about 15 years. Well, probably longer than that. Uh I've just been ordained as a spiritualist minister doing it for 15 years.
0: How did you get this gift?
1: I think it was something that I always had, and I developed it as I went to Camp Chesterfield. I took classes and how to uh, channel energy, read auras, uh, how to be a medium, basically.
0: Isn't it a small world that you've been to that camp where the uh, caller was checking in?
1: Yeah, it is a small world. I think it was kind of, you know, no accident.
0: And you were out there for 10 years?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to tell you, I remembered the name of the prophet. It was Elijah who becomes Urael.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Very good. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show, and you keep in touch with us, Okay.
1: Okay, I'll do that. Thank you for
0: having me. Absolutely. Very welcome. Her website, of course, is linked up at com. It is her name, com. Let me spell it for you. N-O-R-M-A-N-D-I-E-L-L-I-S, com, And uh, she's also a clairvoyant medium, as I mentioned, and astrologer and a spiritualist minister, all in the one. Now, you know, we talk a lot about UFOs, extraterrestrial life, ghosts, and conspiracies, but nobody talked about it better than the late Brad Steiger. Tell me about the story of Epsilon Bootes. This is, this is an incredible story that a lot of people might not be aware of, of what very well could be an alien object that is circling our moon.
4: You know, I'm, I'm so intrigued by that, and uh, you picked up on it. When it first came out, uh, I could not imagine why people weren't going wild about this. But here is a a broadcast, so to speak, and sometimes we theorize that maybe there's like... I don't know what kind of device it'd be, but some type of tape recorder in the Mm -hmm. heavens that keeps broadcasting messages. But here, and serious-minded astronomers said, you know, this is coming from a source. It's coming from something that, you know, is circling. It is in an orbit, and it is broadcasting meaningful messages. Now, and then it just disappeared from the stories, and I tried to track it down and get more information, and then I don't like to project thoughts like this, and sometimes uh, we get a little weary of saying, oh, it must be a cover-up, but I could not understand that this could really be anything other than some kind of cover-up with this information, and there must have been more that would be released and that that we reported in the book. That alien contact, it seems as though someone was was telling us, you know we're here, and we're we're available, so to speak, for communication, and then there was nothing else
0: and this object apparently was parked around our moon about what thirteen thousand years ago.
4: Yeah, yeah, that is what the the communication claimed that it had been parked there, like it was kind of an overseer. Like it was that was its mission, to say when we were ready enough to receive this information.
0: Well, it would still be there in orbit, right? Yes,
4: yes. That's what I understand, but I haven't been able to get any more information about it. There was a lot at first, and I tried to track it down at the time. And then it just dried up, and I couldn't get anyone else to answer. But, you know, I'm stubborn. And uh, you know, Sherry says, "Yes, I agree with you. We've got to put this in the book. Yeah, maybe.
0: it's a great if story. People
4: get excited about it. You know, some some additional statements from someone who should know will will be forced to make these statements and explain what happened.
0: Well, and if there, if it's still broadcasting something, we should have SETI point its ears that way
4: somewhere. Yes, and, yes indeed. And I can't believe that." It isn't pointed there. But I can't get any more information. Maybe someone with a higher ranking than than Sherry or myself can. And I'm hoping that people will see this. someone with that kind of influence and demand that we say, what has happened to Epsilon Buddhist?
0: You must have concluded that there are a lot of UFO reports out there, and they're good ones. Something's happening on this planet. Oh, they're, they're... You have to conclude
4: that. Okay, first of all, and I know no disagreement from you, it's a great mystery. It is. Some people feel they have the answer, and they're very aloof about that, and they're very supercilious, saying we have the answer. As long as we have been in this research field, we realize that it's a multi-level phenomenon. It's a multi-level, multi-dimensional Phenomena we don't we know something is going on. we don't know if it's extraterrestrial, if it's multi-dimensional. we don't know though I kind of suspect there might be bases under the sea, there might be bases under earth to account for some of the ancient legends, but the phenomena has been with us forever, and we feel that it influences every aspect of our existence in ways that we haven't even begun to dream of yet. We feel that strongly about it, that whatever the phenomena is, and we're not saying they come from Alpha Centauri, we're not saying they come from the hollow earth, we're simply saying consider all of this as a great mystery, a multi-layered mystery, but something is going on.
0: Brad, why do you think at such a young age, you, me, and so many other people became fascinated with stories of UFOs and extraterrestrial life? What happened to us?
4: (laughs) Well, I I think as the eminent philosopher uh, Lady Gaga says, we were just born that way.
0: Maybe so. (laughs) Maybe so.
4: I I have to bring up one thing. I got excited about Upsilon Buddhas, which is a favorite of mine. People, some people like to play the name game with research, and I think we cannot overlook that the British astronomer who made the discovery of this robot satellite was named Duncan Lunan.
0: How about that?
4: So again, moon, it's beside the moon. So those, those little things kind of add uh, spice to research.
0: You know, we continue to get these UFO reports and stories all over the place. Yet there are some people who truly believe government's going to disclose. I don't think so, and I've told them that. What do you think?
4: I don't either. I don't either. I, I've said that. Uh, I think as long as I've been researching, with in writing, I should say, which goes back to the '50s and the first book in '66 about UFOs, I've said then it's it's not going to. And people say, well, they can't keep a secret. Oh, yeah, they can. I mean, they're But we have, and talking uh, about this not long ago with uh, with Kevin Randall, whom I know, you're yeah, aware of his fine research. And continually finding people making deathbed. I hate to use the word confession. Testimony. Sure. Deathbed testimony. They
0: just want to get it off their chest. Yeah,
4: yeah. And, and, you know, I can't see why someone has kept it secret all of their lives and then on their deathbed would want to leave that as part of their legacy. So it seems we're building up to a time of disclosure. But I really am not optimistic about this coming anytime soon. I know our friends in the exopolitical mm-hmm. side of it—they're uh, very enthusiastic—and and we hear from them regularly. And respect all of their research and what they're trying to do. And you know, I, they're optimists, and I—you know—I try to be a cockeyed optimist as much as possible. So I'm hopeful that we will have some sort of great revelation. But I, I'm just. I'm just not terribly optimistic that it'll happen, in our lifetime anyway. Yeah,
0: unless it's a mistake.
4: A mistake. A
0: mistake, or something like that happens.
4: Good one, George.
0: Let's go to the phones. David in Pleasant Hills, California, west of the Rockies. David, go ahead. You're on with Brad Steicher.
4: Hey, George. Hey, Brad. How you doing tonight? Oh, okay, George. Uh, good. What was, um, what was your name? David. I'm David. David. Okay, David. Yeah, how's you going? Um... Yeah, I had a couple a couple of people that I've been kinda of researching lately, uh I've seen
3: a few YouTube videos, it's all over the internet with uh stuff like what uh John Lear has talked about. Um one of the one of the big ones is Stephen Greer and the uh, that congressional I think it was a congressional hearing that he was trying to get going mm-hmm. as far as disclosure goes. Um things like one thing I wanted to say though is we we'll, I don't think we'll ever see disclosure because um as far as I know, the uh, the Bilderberg
4: group is being controlled by the Greys. And as far as that's going on, as far as all that secrecy and these uh, destructive agendas are going on, we're not going to see anything come out of the album.
0: Let's hypothesize that. about this, Brad. You know, th- this group, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, mm-hmm. these people... Mm-hmm. You think they're being controlled by ETs? I I would say not. I think they just don't want us to know because they're afraid they will lose control of us.
4: Yes. No, I I don't. um, Wednesday is open, as uh, I certainly have to do. and. You certainly have to do, George. Yeah. <laughs> Stay open to all. And, you know, I'm open to that type of comment. But I think the Bilderbergers, Illuminati, and there's a lot to write about conspiracies. We're just being overwhelmed trying to keep up with that. But, uh, again, the caller agrees that there's probably not going to be disclosure um, as far as groups being controlled by EDS or aliens or multidimensionals, whatever. Um, that That, I think... The whole field has and can have a certain paranoid aspect to it, and I think we have to be aware of that. I've seen so many friends since I began um, really uh, kind of lose it, uh, who were serious researchers, got in a little too deeply, felt that they really had insight into the truth, and then sad to say many of them suffered um, mental issues and... and well, uh, That happens. Uh, yeah, I, I won't go on, but uh, it, it's a field, <clears throat> and I told Sherry, before we really got into this strong again, it's like entering a magic feeder in one sense. And I said, things are going to happen, because when I was really into it in the 60s and the 70s, things that just beggared normal sensible descriptions happen. And when we really got into it, those strange, unexplainable, mysterious things happen. And um, you get information uh, from many sources, and then things are... you, You just have to watch a very cautious line. There's something about entering this field that you have to stay balanced. You really have to know yourself and that's why we maintain that, uh, a time of meditation, a time of prayer, a time of, of reading from the, the Holy Scriptures of all faiths. I think you have to have that kind of balance. And it's a field we are convinced, and I'll say it again, it's the great mystery that affects all of them. Oh, it sure is. In you know, so what, many ways.
0: What fascinates me, too, Brad, these stories of submersible UFOs.
4: Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. They pop out of the ocean. They're witnessed by sailors and people on boats and ships. It, truly incredible stuff.
4: Mar- marvelous stuff. And get those stories uh, we receive all the time, you know, from uh, shrimp fishermen and, and uh, other fishermen and, and uh um, Military men, Navy men and so forth who, who write us with their reports. It's, can can
0: uh, you imagine being on a boat and you see a UFO smash itself out of the water and just take off?
4: Well, we uh, stood on a shore of a lake in Peru and saw that happen at least a dozen times in one night. Yeah. Uh, no explanation, Markham. but we were really seeing... But we all knew what it looked like we were seeing.
0: Anything going back in or just going out?
4: No, they'd go out too. They yeah. would uh, come in, in and out, dive, then go out, and uh, almost like they were putting on uh, a, a, little a show for us. Yeah.
0: Let's go to Clearwater, Florida. Scott, east of the Rockies. Hi, Scott. Go ahead.
4: Hey, good evening. They were putting a show on for you,
3: Brad. Um, they knew that uh, you'd be watching, so they put on a little play.
4: You no, know, okay I, you
3: right. can't figure out what these things are, but I figured it out when I first heard about, you know, the UFOs. Are actually, you know, they're supernatural. I don't know why you don't want to actually say they're supernatural. You say they're multidimensional, but you can't really, you, you kind of stay away from saying they're actually supernatural.
4: I, I don't think you've read many of my books, have you? I haven't, I've never read any of your books, perhaps. Well, then, then you would know that uh, I began speaking of the supernatural aspect back in the 60s, much to the dismay of, of my fellow researchers.
0: And, you know, I still think a lot of people will say they're dimensional, they're demonic. Mm-hmm. I still think they're coming from planetary systems within our, so, our, yeah. our, our, our galaxy.
4: Well, you cannot deny that as a workable theory, But as we said, it's such a multi-layered theory. And certainly the spiritual or the supernatural people always, that's kind of a knee-jerk word for a lot of people, but I think we understand what we mean when I say that. Uh, That aspect of, of another dimension, another world, another supernatural, whatever you define that, because there are so many similarities between UFO phenomena, aliens, and ghosts.
0: We miss him, Brad Steiger. For Dan Galante, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasur, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burrows, Tim Bernal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norris. Somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM, we'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.